Hello. Before we jump into the show, we need to shout out our awesome new sponsor, Marquee TV. Man, I was so excited when we got the news about the sponsor. You all might remember from a few weeks ago that I talked about my new Shakespeare project where I'm learning everything I can about Macbeth. It felt like we said the name Shakespeare out loud and the marquee people appeared and said, (laughs) we gotcha. It really did. Yeah. In case you're not familiar, Marquee TV is a streaming service. They have theater, ballet, opera, documentaries. There's a bunch of behind the scenes content of productions. Basically, it's a fun way to nerd out about the arts. Yeah, it's a streaming service that will take you to the best theaters in the world from the comfort of your own sofa. I've already added so many things to our watch list. Did you know there's a ballet based on the works of Beatrix Potter? I did. They've got a little preview video of somebody dancing around in a rabbit costume. Peter Rabbit doing ballet. (laughs) I also added a few hip-hop dance shows just to balance out the dancing bunnies. Yeah, (laughs) hip-hopra. That's what they call it. They do. It's so fun. Mozart's Requiem from the London Philharmonic Orchestra and a bunch of Shakespeare plays, including Richard II starring my pretend best friend, David Tennant. And Judy Dench talking about her long relationship with Shakespeare in a master class. Yeah, I love Judy Dench. Sure. But David Tennant. Yeah, that's quite a battle there. Okay. There's a special deal for our listeners. Marquee TV is offering three months of their service for 99 cents. You get three months of all of this good stuff for 99 cents yeah. with the code SSOP. That cost seems absurdly low to me. Like first, I expected it to be much higher given the quality of the content, but also 99 cents. You, you can't park next to a theater for 99 cents. Accurate. Also, if you watch Marquee TV, you get to see these shows maybe wearing your pajamas and hanging out with your cat yeah. or your dog. Yeah. It's a good way to sort of indulge your own curiosity. You can see all the performances of Hamlet or maybe the first 15 minutes of all of the performances of Hamlet, and you don't have to rope your friends and family into all of that. Or you could watch Richard II over and over and over and over. <laughs> What's the best angle for David Tennant in Richard II? Trick question. All of them. <laughs> anyway, You definitely need to explore the website because there is a ton of really fun, fascinating, engaging stuff on there. I went in specifically looking for Shakespeare and I found a ton of other things I wanted to watch. Yeah. You can keep up with what they're doing on social media at Marquee Arts TV. You can visit their website at marquee.tv. That's marquee.tv to get three months of their service for just 99 cents with the promo code SSOP. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. And now the show. Hi, I'm Sam Payne, host of the Appleseed Podcast. This season, imagine this, a crackling fire, a mug of cocoa, and family gathered around a great story. All you need is the fire and the cocoa. We'll take care of the stories. Join us in every episode of the Appleseed Podcast for folk tales, fairy tales, family stories, tall tales, and more, shared by some of the country's most beloved storytellers, and just right for gathering around. Make it a Christmas season to remember with the Appleseed Podcast. Find the Appleseed wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, a gothic mystery set in a moody manor house. A book about why you love the music you do. Plus, our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. 
In honor of spooky season, yeah. I'm recommending a backlist book today instead of a new release. Okay. It's a trick and a treat. <laughs> yeah. It's Wakenhurst by Michelle Paver. This is a gothic novel, and it's inspired by real villages that sit on the edge of the fens in eastern England. What's a fen? Fens are marshy areas that are very wild and mysterious. They're where you'd expect witches and ghosts to lurk about if you lean that way. Okay. Many folktales are set in the fens, yep. including the story of a ghostly light that lures victims to their death in a bed of reeds. The will of the wisp. Exactly. In this book, it's 1906, and our heroine Maud lives in a manor house. And that house is perched on the edge of the fens, and it's called Wake's End. Maud is about... 10 at the time the story begins. Okay. And she is just the kind of heroine I love. She's feisty and put upon, and she's about seven shades too curious for her own good. Mm -hmm. Sadly, her mother is dead, and her father sees demons everywhere he looks. Oh, yikes. Oh, man, her father. Outside of their house, he's a well-respected historian. Yeah. But at home, he's a tyrant. Oh. At one point, Maud says that part of making her father proud was obeying his every word. Mm. And his rules include never running in the garden, always being silent downstairs, and no animals in the house. In fact, the servants are instructed to drown any cats they find on the property. Oh, jeez. He's a bad guy with a capital B, capital G. Yeah. One day, while she's poking around her father's study, she discovers his diaries. And she does the only reasonable thing. Reads them? Yes. Yeah. She reads them. And just like that, Maud is caught up in the secrets of a gruesome murder. The mystery unfolds through two narratives. Maud's unusual coming-of-age story and the increasingly unhinged entries from her father's journals. Oh, nice. Yeah. I devoured this novel. And then I read another one by Michelle Paver. Remember her ghost story, Dark Matter? Yes, kind I, of. Yeah, I recommended that one on our podcast episode about the Arctic. Very spooky and awesome. She's really good at creating atmosphere that becomes another character in the story. Very grounded in their sense of place and time. While you read this book, you might hear unnatural scratching in the walls and smell the damp decay wafting up your nose from the fens. And you will love, love, love the Too Curious Mod. That's Wakenhurst by Michelle Paver. My book is This Is What It Sounds Like, What the Music You Love Says About You by Susan Rogers. Susan Rogers has led a fascinating life. She started as an L.A. audio tech in the 70s and then eventually became Prince's chief engineer for Purple Rain. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then she worked with David Byrne and Michael Penn. She was the producer for the Bare Naked Ladies when they recorded One Week. <laughs> that's really fun. Yeah. She became one of the most successful female record producers of all time. In 2000, she went deeper. She earned a doctorate in music cognition and psychoacoustics. Psychoacoustics? Yeah. And she started teaching. She is currently an associate professor at the Berklee College of Music. This book is about our relationship with music. The idea here is that we all have a listener profile, and that profile is based on our brain's response to seven different dimensions of a song. Four of those are musical, melody, lyrics, rhythm, and timbre. 
and three of them are aesthetic, authenticity, realism, and novelty. While she's introducing these ideas, she walks through her own career. She uses her background to help illuminate the music of Prince and Frank Sinatra and Kanye West, among others. She writes about records that changed her life, and she encourages us to think about the tunes that define our identities. The book is This Is What It Sounds Like, What the Music You Love Says About You by Susan Rogers. And now our distraction of the week. So our episode on Italy just came out last week. And while we were doing that, I came across some things about a place called San Marino that I wanted to share. We mentioned it briefly. We did. It's a tiny country. San Marino is a little microstate nestled into a mountain by the coast of the Adriatic. So if you were in Florence and you started heading west, you'd get to San Marino just before you hit the sea. San Marino is its own nation, but it is entirely surrounded by Italy. It is the hole in the donut of the Italian peninsula. (laughs) There's no border control there, so you just walk in. But you can also get your passport stamped if you'd like. I was going to ask if you get a stamp when you go there. That's always so much fun. You can, yeah. San Marino is lovely. There's a mountain there, Mount Titano. There are three ancient towers on Mount Titano. On a clear day, you can see the Adriatic from there. People routinely describe it as fairy tale lake. You can visit our site. We'll, We'll show you some pictures. San Marino is also tiny. It's the world's fifth smallest country. It has about 34,000 residents. This nation is smaller than, say, Des Moines, Iowa, or Oslo, Norway. There are amusement parks in the world that have a larger maximum capacity. (laughs) Everyone from San Marino could go to Disney World, and the line to get into Space Mountain would still move pretty well. (laughs) It's an old city-state that has somehow avoided assimilating into Italy since its founding in 301. And I want to tell you three things that I found interesting about San Marino. First, it may be the world's only diarchy. Diarchy. Yeah. San Marino has two heads of state. Twice a year, the parliament elects two individuals to be what they call the captain's regent. Cool. Yeah. That's the highest elected official. Those people serve for six months. And then those individuals can't be captains again for three years after that. As a happy byproduct, San Marino has had the most female heads of state in the world. Well done, San Marino. Yeah. Second, San Marino has no debt. They have a budget surplus. Part of that is because of the tourism. San Marino has over 3 million tourists a year. Wow. (laughs) That's 100 times the population. Yeah. All of that cash makes their GDP per capita one of the highest in the world. And it might explain why San Marino is one of the only nations in the world with more cars than people. Not so fond of that statistic. (laughs) Me either, but I thought it was interesting. Finally, as you mentioned, it's spooky season. You should know that San Marino is home of the Museum of Vampires and Lycanthropes. How did I not know this before right this minute? I don't know. They, uh, of course, say it in the much sexier Italian. Museo dei Ventri e Lycanthropi, which is probably a bad pronunciation, but you get the idea. If you're unaware, lycanthrope is a fancy word for, for werewolf. From the outside, the museum appears to be primarily a kitsch tourist trap. Mm-hmm. But from the inside, it is still just a kitsch <laughs> tourist trap. No. Yeah. TripAdvisor has it at three stars after 300 reviews. 
They also have about 200 photos, so you can get a sense of what you're getting into there. I would like to mention that San Marino has no official policy on the existence of vampires. Although I feel like something is implied by having the museum. And also, they maintain a group of 70 soldiers who are experts in crossbow. (gasps) Or as vampire experts call them, the flying stake. Or as I'm going to call them, vampire and werewolf hunters. (laughs) Wikipedia is very adamant that this unit is ceremonial in nature. I'm seeing a lot of air quotes in these statements. (laughs) I mean, what else are they going to say, right? All those tourists? Exactly. You got to keep that undead population down somehow. (laughs) Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more details about the books we discussed and the tiny country of San Marino and possibly its intense undead problem. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. 